Hi, my name is Trina Green-Brown, and this is Parenting for Liberation. On this week's podcast, I was interviewed by Daniel of The D Report, a show that airs on KUCR 88.3 FM. Listen in to that discussion now. Welcome everyone, you're listening to KUCR here on 88.3 FM, also broadcasting online at KUCR.org. This is Daniel with the D-Report. Today we will be speaking with Trina Green-Brown, founder of Parenting for Liberation, a blog and podcast. We'll be able to talk a little bit about parenting and some of the related issues dealing with issues of racism and inequality. Before we get started, Trina is online. Trina, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, this is Trina Green-Brown. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Trina, can you tell us a little bit about your blog? Sure. So I am a mother of uh, active, lovable, caring, generous, innovative, creative. I can go on and on and on. But I'm a mother of a beautiful boy named Terrence, and he's seven years old. And I'm also the mother of my stepdaughter, Araya, who's a talent, bright, shining light, just a gorgeous little girl as well, um, who both happen to be African-American in the United States. And given all of the historical and current traumas that are impacting young people of color, I started this podcast blog entitled Parenting for Liberation because I caught myself and noticed myself parenting from fear. Um, And so I no longer wanted to be so afraid for their well-being that I began to um, parent out of fear and protection. And I wanted to be able to parent from a place of liberation so that they could be their most freest selves. And so that was the intentionality of me creating the podcast and blog um, to engage with other parents who are doing this work, fighting against, you know, all the social ills. And wanting to not have to fight at home, wanting to be able to be liberated at home with their children. So that's the purpose of the blog and podcast. Your words of parenting from fear resonate really with me because I recall when I became a father, which is nine years ago, that's the reaction that I had. All of my acts were really guided by this position of a reaction to things that I didn't want to happen. And as an adult, I had a much larger vision of where my daughter was going to be raised, the world that she was going to enter. And I recall just how much fear I had. And I think I still carry a lot of fear. But as I hear you speak, I really appreciate the way you've been able to kind of take a moment to consider that there's an option. And our response as parents doesn't have to be guided by fear, but as you worded, the idea of parenting for liberation this productive, inspiring, encouraging position where we we have an alternative, which is like, let's give them all of the the positive tools in order to find themselves in a stronger position. How does it look like when you think of parenting for liberation versus parenting from fear? That is a great question. And first of all, let me just say, like, it's so inspiring to even hear you as a father, like reflect back the impact of parenting from fear I could hear it in your voice and like that experience kind of calls in from me like yes I know what that feels like you didn't even have to name what you did to parent when you were parenting from fear but I could feel it right like there's something in kind of the maternal paternal 
inclination to want to protect our young, to protect our children. And so we have this immediate kind of reaction as the parent from fear and react from everything. And so I won't say that I got it right. I won't like, I don't um, declare to be the expert on parenting from liberation. I think it's a practice. It's an ongoing transition and way of being. Um, and the intention of the podcast and the blog is actually to invite other parents who are trying this out to be in conversation with me because I don't think I have all the answers. And I believe that there's more collective wisdom um, from our grandmothers, tias, abuelitas, uncles, grandparents. You know, there's so many different folks who are parenting and are contributing to our children's lives. So I want to bring and invite folks to be in conversation with me. Um, but I will say some of the things that I've noticed in my own parenting um, for example, I created all these rules like about what my son could or could not do. It was more about what he couldn't do. Um, that were all protective factors that I thought I was creating. And recently I shifted to have a conversation with him about community agreements. So instead of having rules, because the rules were like, listen to the mom, respect the mom, you know, it was all about like doing things that I wanted him to do. And so they were all in response to like my authority. And instead of me being the authoritarian figure over him, I've just been reading these various books about ways to be in relationship with your young people. And so I shifted from having rules to community agreements. And so in that conversation with my son, it was very different. It was about, you know, what could I do to support him, right? And what could he do? What could I do to support him? And what could he do to support me? And it was more mutual. And I know that probably sounds weird to parents who feel like, you know, I'm the authority, it's my house, it's my rules, until you're 18, you have to listen to me. But there's something more powerful when young people feel like they have a sense of agency, because then they're not just listening to the rules, they actually have something to contribute, and they feel more committed because it's a community agreement. So I'm going to give this to you, and you're going to give something back to me in mutuality and respect. And so... Even that shift, which might feel odd to people, um, has really shifted the way that we engage, me and my son, to a place where I don't have to demand respect anymore, where he just gives it freely because he feels like it's a mutuality. As I hear you speak, I recognize a lot of what I struggled with early on to express. I remember at the beginning, people were were somewhat confused that I I took a position that I was really interested in getting to know my daughter as someone that had arrived into my life, but more so not as someone that that I was an authority over. I was at most someone that had a responsibility to her guidance and her caretaking, but a responsibility that came, I, I like how you put it, from a mutual agreement, this community agreement, that I honestly felt that my success as a parent was going to be as a support I honestly made a commitment to consider myself as an ally to her that was only going to be possible if I actually did as much as I could to not limit her her sense of being and growing strong. So I think it is interesting that like for a lot of parents and every every parent will do their best. So it's not necessarily a critique of doing it right or wrong, but I do know that like I struggled with people that were saying, "Well, why don't you just tell her what to do?" and I, I would kind of say, "Well, that's not the adult I want to support. You know, I want to see her become this strong woman as an adult. And you have to try it from the very beginning so that when she's an adult, she's been doing this her whole life. As I hear you speak, I think it's really interesting just how, what a shift that is. And the shift sometimes is really 
uncomfortable for people. For example, I, f- I found myself really upset just how little respect children get by adults from the issues of being dressed for the enjoyment of adults. I found that disrespectful. You know, like you think it's cute to put this on them, but it's your amusement. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. There was a situation. Um, we were rushing, and so we got him dressed. We were going out. It was a family gathering. And so, you know, I wanted him to look nice. While in the car, he spilled something on his shorts. And so when he got out the car, I didn't notice it because he was in the back seat. So when we got out the car, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, what's going to happen? Like, you're going to be the only child of all the children who look, like, mess- messy. And so I was, like, so concerned with the way he looked. And so I actually had him switch his shorts around backwards. He probably would be really embarrassed if he knew I was talking about this. But I had him switch his shorts backwards and then tied a sweater around his waist. And he was so uncomfortable, like, to have his shorts on backwards. Like, no one else knew that his shorts were on backwards except for us. But he, like, was really conscious of it. And he was like, Mom, I don't think it really matters. Like, nobody's paying attention. And I was like, no, no, this is what we're going to have to do. So we went through the whole thing, and we got back to the car. Immediately when we returned to the car, he's like, Mom, can I change my shorts back around? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, it wasn't a big deal. Nobody noticed. And I was like, you know, you're right. It wasn't a big deal. And so then we actually sat there and we broke down. Like, well, what was it about him looking presentable that mattered so much to me that didn't necessarily matter to him? And so that was like me getting clear about what my own internalized ideas about present, like being presentable and account and, and respectability politics when it comes to like black boys looking a certain way. If you dress a certain way, you'll be safe. If you look a certain way, you'll be accepted and treated as equal. And so that's all the stuff that's going on in my head around the way he presents himself publicly as a black boy, as far as his safety and as a protection factor, that he, as a young boy who just wants to be free and have fun and play and dress however he wants, he's not holding those same weights that I'm holding. Um, And so that's what it means, like, when we have all this, like, social understanding as adults that we put on young people that they don't have yet. And so I want to really kind of, you know, shift that. So it's interesting that you named fashion because that has been a battle and I have to like let it go. Like how he looks and how he dressed will not necessarily protect him from anything negative. So I should just let him be free to dress how he wants. Let me remind the audience that they're listening to KUCR here on 88.3 FM. This is Daniel with the Drew Report today speaking with Trina Green, founder of Parenting for Liberation, a blog and podcast. As parents, we're working with more information than our children. And I think that's one of the things that we struggled the most. I recall being a child and just knowing that my parents, that's all they wanted. They wanted me to be a presentable adult, a presentable young man. A lot of it has to do with things that you know are skill sets that will be rewarded. Like my dad, for example, would would really instruct me on like, well, when you walk into rooms, say, you know, say hello to everyone, go shake their hands. And that was just this protocol that I would do as a child, automatic. At the time, I think he was trying to instruct me with what might be called, quote unquote, good manners. But there are skill sets that I know that I have that have been rewarded so that people will say, oh, you're, you seem to be a very friendly, outgoing person. I was like, well, I'm really not, but that's what I do on automatic because that seems to be like the protocol. As an adult, I understand the things we do to instruct our children in the norms of our society, but one of the things that we are now addressing is that aside from quote-unquote good manners, 
We understand the politics of living in a racialized society, in a sexist society, in a society with classism, with homophobia, with all these master status categories that are used as forms of violence because we live them. And now as parents, we are committed to giving them the tools, the same skill sets to hopefully navigate an adult world. Can you talk about a little bit that, you know, how do you, you already kind of mentioned it as, as actually thinking about your son as a black body, a black young man and becoming. And as parents, I think that's one of the new, new formats that I've been able to share with other parents because for a while that wasn't really on the table on parenting. When you looked at the books on parenting, <laughs> they didn't put that chapter on that. But I think we had to make our own chapters and now we're, we're talking about it. So what comes to mind for you? Well, what comes to mind for me and um, when it comes to parenting a black body, what comes to mind is all of the news cast from Trayvon Martin wearing a hoodie to Tamir Rice playing with a toy gun in a park, right? These are little babies, little black boys. My son is five years away from that age range, and so there's something to black boys being seen as much older than they really are and immediately being considered a threat. And so those are things that come to mind for me as a mother raising a black boy. And then I also have a daughter, right? And when I think about my daughter and raising a black girl, there are things that I know and have been trained to do as a feminist. I've been working in the violence against women's movement since college. And there are things that we encourage young girls to do. Speak up, stand up for yourself, be bold, um, be daring. Don't fall into gender stereotypes. And that's great. But when it comes to black girls, they're actually too bold and too loud. And so there's a different pattern and different encouragement for black girls. Black girls like the young black girl who was flipped over by her school resource officer for not turning off her phone. And the young black girl at the pool who was chased down and put in a headlock um, because she spoke up for what she believed was right while she was at her community pool. And so there's a difference that's happening for children who are black, um, that they are too much. They're too much and they're also at the same time not enough. And so as a parent who's raising two, a black boy and a black girl, it's the negotiation of encouraging them to be all they can be. And in the world, them being experienced as being too much and also being told that they're not enough. And so they're, they're living in this horrible dichotomy externally. When we talk about parenting as filtered through the material we now know, what we can give words to, you know, for example, we, we call it racism or classism or sexism. These are, I guess, somewhat intellectual, you know, items, but they really play themselves on the lives of people we care about. When my daughter was born, at the time, the master status category that I held the, the most was gender. So gender stereotypes, mm-hmm. gender inequality. To return, I really worked from a position of fear. You know, I kept on like, no, no. And and I never d- did the idea of what are you doing to actually produce a much more stronger position of safety and, to use your word, liberation. And I, at first, I didn't have much. It was just reactionary. So that everything that was supposed to be girly, I put that in quotes, I rejected. Mm. And then I, And then I learned that that's not really the point. It should be all available to her, whatever she wants to do. The reaction started also making more sense to me, but not to my daughter in terms of 
the grand scheme. So when you talk about this idea of too much and not enough, I felt that that she was always going to have to deal with that. The first time I really was upset was I think she was in kindergarten and she asked me like, hey, hey, dad, um, this kid told me that I kick like a girl. What does that mean? And I was like, oh, like, well, let's talk about that. You know, one of them I was thinking, I remember I played it off like, well, women represent a larger percentage. So maybe you kick like the larger percentage of the world. And then I realized like, I can't hide that. I'm going to tell her that the guy was, that little boy was trying to critique you at, I forgot what word I used, but I was trying to tell her just like he meant it in a negative way. But then the part that I remember owning was like, this is what she's going to have to do for the rest of her life. It's always going to yes. be a battle and it will always be in a casual way. And I remember later on talking with a circle of men who had young boys and one of them, he said, oh, I've said that to my son. Like, hey, don't don't throw like a girl. Don't kick like a girl. And that's when I called him on. I was like, well, when you do that to your son. Your son goes around and tells that to my daughter. He's like, yeah, I didn't mean it that way. But I was like, yeah, but that's how the circle goes. You know, like you're trying to instruct your son and you're giving him these gendered tools that are actually quite hurtful for him and for some other person that he's going to offer it to. One of the things that I struggled was that I didn't want to overburden her with the information that I held. So the information that mm -hmm. I held in my head was that she was going to have to struggle more than other people. But at the same time, I didn't want to weigh her down with that information because I wanted her to be free. And I'm still not sure how balanced it is. I'm pretty sure she carries more weight than other people. I always think of her as being more conscious because I've seen her articulate much stronger positions, whether it's things like, hey, I'm watching this TV show. How come there aren't any women here? And I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. Why aren't there women here? But we're, we're balancing this line, as you say, state, like we understand that our children are playing this idea that they're sometimes not enough or they're too much. But at the, right. at the base, we want to be loving parents. We want them to just be, be free. How do you balance that? I think it's not about like sitting your child down and having a full history lesson about gender politics and about sexism and about patriarchy and misogyny, right? Like it's actually on... A circumstantial basis right like it's about being in the world and exploring and like having the space where your child actually feels comfortable to come to you to have the conversation and say hey death this happened to me at school I think that's the first step is actually creating clear lines of communication which is kind of back refers back to our previous conversation earlier about like not having these very rigid roles about who's in control and who's the boss right because when you create those rigid rules in your home it kind of cuts your child off from seeing you as someone that they can come to to talk and so I think because you laid this foundation that you wanted to get to know your daughter in all of her full humanity and you wanted to have a relationship with her based on mutuality, that she can actually come to you and say, Dad, this is happening. What does this mean? And she trusts that you will have an authentic conversation with her about it. And so I think that's just actually what it requires. Like, that's the foundation is to create the space to have the conversation. And then I think having engaging in a critical conversation, I think there's one way where you can just be like, this is what's happening and give her all the information. And there's another way to actually engage her in her own level of thinking and critical thinking and say, well, what do you think that means? And what do you think is happening? My son came to me from school one day with a similar conversation about he goes to a school that has very minimal number of African-American students. And so he came home one day and told me that he wanted to be white. He wanted his skin to be white. And so I engaged in a conversation with him about like, well, why do you want that? And then I had to tell him that, you know, had to start to 
give him positive affirmations about his blackness and what does it mean to be African-American and why is that beautiful and why should he be proud of it? Um, and what are some of the cultural um, greats and inspirations that he could be listed up and considering himself to be a part of? And so, you know, and my first, right, that's what I eventually came to. But I'll be honest, my first reaction was like, oh, my God. And so I was like, pulled out a sheet of paper and I gave him a crayon and I was like, color. And I like had him color with all these different colors. And then I said, look how beautiful the page is. If you only had the color white, the, the page would not have any, like it would be a blank page. Like we need all the different cultural colors and diversity in our world to make it beautiful. Like that was where I went, but that wasn't enough. And so it actually took me to like do the next layer. And so I think that's the beauty of parenting. We have the space to continue going and to continue deepening the conversation. I think it's about being authentic with our young people, not necessarily trying to hide or sugarcoat, but finding ways to have conversations with them at their own level that engages them, that we're not preaching to them or talking down to them, but we're actually engaged in conversations about what do they think and what are their experiences. One of the things that we talked about earlier that I wanted to just go back to is based on that sense of like having a mutual relationship I found the book that I was talking about when I referenced so the book is called all about love new visions by bell hook and there's a chapter in the book called justice childhood love lessons so I'll read a couple of passages it says there can be no love without justice until we live in a world and a culture that does not only respect but also upholds the basic civil rights for children most children will not know love so that's one piece because she talks about how oftentimes parents like discipline their children and then still say like I do this because I love you which kind of thwarts the definition of love that love and pain and love and neglect and love and abuse could happen at the same time and then we wonder why we do that to our young people and then when they get older and they engage in abusive relationships we don't understand like why do they stay well we've trained them early on that I love you but I can discipline you I love you but I can you know physically abuse you, but I'm doing it out of love, right? So I think about that in terms of the work that I do. And so it says, loving parents work hard to discipline without punishment. This does not mean that they never punish, only that when they do punish, they choose punishments like timeouts or taking away of privileges. They focus on teaching children how to be self-disciplining and how to take responsibility for their own actions. So those are just some of the things that I'm like working on. I'm a work in progress. I think that's the, you know, that's parenting. Parenting for Liberation is about working in progress to practice liberation. So that's the journey that I'm on. I like the way we kind of work within this framework of parenting with a full understanding that we do so within a world that requires a critical position. It may feel unfortunate because some of us want to say, like, can I just be a loving parent? And we can be. But one of the things that we've made a commitment to is that we understand that it is our responsibility to hopefully offer our children tools so they can succeed in a world that has these barriers for them to limit their success. And when I say the barriers, they are these status, these master status categories that we call race, gender, sexuality and class, physical ability, age, and so forth. But the part that I feel, I guess, somewhat encouraged is that even within this critical overview that we say, well, I feel that my commitment to my daughter 
uh, requires me to offer her what I think I know, which is that we live in a world of gender inequality and women have different experiences than men do. Women of color have different experiences than non-women of color. So then I try and offer these things to my daughter. But along the way, there's something that I think I find myself way more encouraged is that if there were layers at the core, I just need to be a loving parent. And I need to just love her and give her as much safety for her to love as well. And that in itself feels that it is the most radical thing. Because one of the things we know is that the world actually gets confused when they meet loving adults. Like healthy adults, the world that we have right now stumbles. It's almost in shock. Like, how dare you? So if we can do that, I think that is one of the most radical things we can offer. Mm, I love that. I love that love is the most radical thing that we can do. Parenting for liberation is parenting in its most freest self, parenting our young people, our children, to be free, to love themselves for who they are, all that they are, and all of their humanity. And when we love them for all of who they are and all of their humanity, they are liberated, and we are also parents who are liberated, and we become better beings for the world, and we create and foster the future generation of better beings for the world. First, I want to make sure I thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate having this opportunity to talk to you about it because I've been working so with these things that I feel I understand, but I struggle to voice them out. I found myself encouraged by many, many people I've had amazing opportunities to talk to a circle of fathers and, and know that they're, they're also struggling with this, even when they don't have an opportunity to voice it openly. I think that there is this change among us. Our communities are, are resilient. We are here, so we are a product of just so much struggle from the past, but more so, so much love in our, in our community. So we're capable of giving that. The, the question is, how do we protect it and share it at the same time? Because there's this vulnerability when we speak out that feels that we are at risk. I came across some of your work and you had posted some articles around the idea of freedom and limitations that we put on, on children, on, on children of color, on black bodies, on black young men. And what does it look like when they are not confined by these limitations? And sometimes they when they are not, we actually get scared. Yeah, I just was reading this op-ed about um, does, the, does the revolution begin with a free black child? And I think the answer to that is yes. And I think that we don't know, we can't hold it, right? We're so, we're so weighed down. Our hands are so full with all of the traumas, all of the isms, the racism, sexism, classism, you know, all all of the various isms that are holding us back that we hold. And I think young people in this new generation are coming forward who are not about respectability politics, who are not about fulfilling the status quo, who are not about fitting in the box, right? Being free for to self-expression, free to exploration, free to creative and innovative ideas, um, free to cross boundaries. That freedom is scary. We don't know what's on the other side of that freedom. It could potentially be just open pastures and they're free. And there could also be potential threats to their safety for stepping outside of the box and stepping outside of the boundaries. There could be consequences. There could be bodily harm. There could be incarceration because they aren't following the rules. And so I think we know that there's those, those possibilities. And so we're afraid. And so that's my intention is to not be afraid. 
Um, I was actually told by someone who wrote one of, is one of the contributing authors for Revolutionary Mothering, Love on the Front Line. Maya, one of the editors, actually, I posed the same question to her at a panel recently in Los Angeles and said, like, I've been parenting from fear. Do you have any tips? And her tip was to know that the world is not safe. And like, once we believe and understand and know and believe in the reality that the world is not safe and we cannot protect them from the unknown, but to do what we can with what we do have to uplift them, to encourage them, to support them, that that's all that we can do. We cannot protect them from the unknown. There's nothing that we can do to protect them because the world is not safe. And so I was like, oh, that's very simple, just to know that the world is not safe. And it's very hard to just accept that at the same time. I think that's the probably the hardest thing as parents that we can kind of have to own, this idea that, that we cannot protect them. Because that's the one thing that I remember even growing up. I mean, I think that's what I thought my parents were there to offer me, you know, protection, safety. And then when I became a parent, that was like the first, that was like the only thing that wasn't questioned, you know, like that's what you're going to do. And there's this really humbling moment when you have to acknowledge that you cannot protect them. And as I sit here just hearing those, it, it, it really is unsettling because it it shifts so much of what I thought I could do so that I felt honestly that like I could mediate the safety like I could just kind of if, if you give them the right tools you are now making it so that their safety is increased so in, in some sense you're protecting them but there is a humbling position to know that the world itself is outside of your control you won't necessarily be able to protect them but you can offer them hopefully some skill sets some value in in the relationship that you have with them I do think there's like a you know double-edged sword or kind of a to be devil's advocate. I don't think we can protect them, right? Like I think we can give them tools. We can help them to be more aware, help them to be aware and be able to see that it's not themselves and not to blame themselves, that it's actually not in their own personal, you know, deficiency of any of their own, that it's actually the world itself that has all of these different barriers. So I think if they're aware of those barriers and not necessarily internalizing that the racism, the sexism, the homophobia, the classism, right? I think that's the one tool that, well, that's the first tool is like raising their awareness in a way that your daughter already has it and my son has it right now. I think that's the tool we can give them. And I think the other tool is not about protecting them from the world. I think for me, the work that I do is about shaping the world to be something different. I am working in social justice. I am trying to shift the way that racism and gender dynamics are going to potentially impact my son. So I'm out in the world doing that work, trying to end violence, working on social change, working on social change strategies, working with folks who are pushing new policies, um, working with folks who are doing organizing against, you know, black for Black Lives Matter, who are doing organizing against HB2, who are doing organizing against, you know, different policies and different issues so that like we're trying to build the world for the children that we want to live in. We're trying to build the world so that our children can live in that world, the new world. But until then, we are also encouraging our young people to be their freest selves. So we're fighting for liberation and at the same time parenting for liberation. So I'm doing both and. We find it difficult to balance ourselves within that equation of parenting because we know, we remember who we were before we became parents. And a lot of times we, we put it away because you might think that there's not 
room for you to be an authentic individual while also being a parent. But there's this thing that we can kind of consider is that we are still active participants in this very world that we want our children to live in. So we are still committed to affecting that world. When you think about parent, where do you place yourself in your own sense of growth and safety and just being? That's the beauty of the podcast that I want to create and the community that I want to create and foster is that we don't have to compartmentalize ourselves. We are both parents and activist and adult, female, wife, sister, mother, daughter, however folks identify all of their different pieces of their being. And so I don't want to have to compartmentalize myself. I am a parent who is also fighting for social justice. And at the same time, I'm doing it for my child. I actually say that I do my work through the eyes of my children because I believe the new world is possible when I see it through their eyes. When I think about what the future could be and what do I want to create and what does liberation look like, I just look at it from the eyes of my children. When my son believes that he could do whatever he wants and he can be whatever he wants, I'm like, yes, how can I create a world where you can be whatever you want? How can, how can I create a world where my daughter thinks that she can do and be the next president or the first female president? Or maybe she doesn't think she has to be the first because by the time she grows up, there will already be a female president. My son believes that he can be whatever he wants to be. And I went to his class when he was in kindergarten and actually read a book that was about a young boy whose whole family were hockey players. And he didn't want to be a hockey skater. He wanted to be an ice skater and he wanted to dance. And his father was like, no, that's for girls. And the young boy actually protested until his parents bought him the skates and he wanted to be like a performance ice skater who twirled. Um, and then his family actually came around and realized that that was the like he was better for that. That was better for him. And so I read that to his my son's kindergarten class, and we had a conversation about, like, what can girls do and what can boys do? And the learning at that time was that there are no such things as gender roles that girls can do anything that they want to do and boys can do anything they want to do. And so we talked about, like, if a girl wants to play, you know, Legos or race cars with you, will you let her play? And they're like, yes. And if a boy wants to play with a doll or plays, you know, wants to play anything that considered that is considered girly, is that okay? And they said, yes. Right. So I think that is the world that we want to create. And it takes us investing in our children and also the communities around them. Um, and then the thing about my daughter is like, she believes that she could be the president. What does that mean when that is the future hope is that our young children believe that these things are possible. Now my son is an African-American boy can believe that he could be the president because it's the president has been set. And so those are the things that keep me going and keep me uh, motivated to continue to create a world in which both of my children and all children thrive to be their most liberated selves. I looked at the at blog you have, but also I listened to some of the podcasts, and one of the things that I heard was the sense of a genuine commitment to just being a beautiful parent. But in order to be a beautiful parent, with our awareness of the world we presently have, it requires us to understand that we have an opportunity to respect our children by giving them information that other parents or at another period were thought were, was information of adults. So I recall people saying, why are you talking about sexism to a child that isn't even one yet? You know, mm. I recall just answering with this idea that look, it doesn't help her to not be aware of it. This idea that 
why is she going to be kept away from information that w just because it doesn't come from me doesn't mean it's not being offered i would see the tv shows and it was obviously creating these gender binary roles it was creating expectations and assignments that i didn't feel comfortable with so then the only thing that i remember telling myself like if this is what's happening i have to be a part of it but when we say we have to be a part of it it's actually guided by by this loving and beautiful context as opposed to like having this context where it's a classroom where you are invested sincerely that the people in that space learn the material and you engage with it but here you have an opportunity to really be fully committed emotionally to that relationship unlike I teach and I, I know I have love for my students but it is a different commitment when they leave my classroom I expect them to not think about me because we've kind of severed that relationship but when you have a daughter or a son that's a commitment that you are living forever and you're and you're feeding it and you're making it stronger as we were talking today I, I was really kind of going back to this phrase of like liberation and thinking of the ways that it can take different texture and one of the ones that I I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about as we exit our conversation is the, the idea of liberation and love and emotion and beauty because there's a phrase that people hear it oh parenting for liberation that must be a really hard and critical process and I want to say like no I think it's it can be it can be a very loving and easing easy and beautiful process so when I thought of what it meant to parent from liberation I thought actually it was what you mentioned earlier is like not wanting to parent in reaction to and so I was parenting from fear and I was trying to figure out what was fear doing to me it was having me constrict and constrain and shrink and kind of box in so imagine the opposite of being tight and constrained and bound. The opposite to that to me was free. So I was like putting my son, I was like restricting him. Imagine this young boy feeling like he can do this and he can do that. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And every time I said no, it made him shrink. His options were limited. His abilities were being limited by my fear and saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And so instead of constricting and con like confining him, I wanted to open him up and allow him to be free. I wanted to let him expand. Imagine a little bird, like instead of caging him in, caging him in I wanted him to expand and be free and be his fullest self. And so when I think about that, the word came to mind, liberation, because I was basically chaining him down and locking him in, which is imprisonment. And the opposite of that is liberation and freedom. Um, and so that's why that word came to me. It also came to me because the work that I do is around liberation and equity. I am fighting for liberation and equity from women's liberation, the liberation for black people and black struggle. And so when I think about when the work that I do in the field and the world is around fighting for liberation and equity, I've brought that home to me to realize that I also needed to be parenting from that same frame. And so that is the purpose of that word. It's about being free um, and the way and the pathways to creating the most freest self is to love, to have this radical love that loves completely without judgment and without critique and to just love all the different com pieces of my son, to love him in his full humanity with flaws and all. And so like the radical 
the radical ability to love your child in their full humanity, not as a property, not as an ownership, but loving your child as a human. And so that kind of brings me back to the book that I've been reading about love. So I'm going to read this last quote to you. This is from All About Love by Bell Hooks. Love is as love does, and it is our responsibility to give children love. When we love children, we acknowledge by our every action that they are not property, that they have rights, and that we must respect and uphold their rights. Without justice, there can be no love. It's kind of the epitome of why we must love our children, not as property or ownership over them, but as children who have rights that we want to support and uplift. And that until we see that loving parents are what is at the root of being of our children being their most liberated selves until we show them love that they can receive love back and then they can give love out. Trina, on that note, I want to thank you very much for sharing this conversation with us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. You've just heard a conversation with Trina Green-Brown, founder of Parenting for Liberation, a blog and podcast. Our conversation addressed the politics of parenting and some of the different ways that we work with larger subjects such as racism, classism, gender inequality, and mainly the sense of parents trying to just be as positive and as loving and as beautiful as they can be in order to support their children so that they too can be liberated, beautiful, free human beings. For more information, you can write to Parenting for liberation at gmail.com. Also, you can find the blog itself at parentingforliberation.wordpress.com and the podcast at soundcloud.com slash parentingforliberation. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today and you will come back next week. This has been Daniel with the D Report. Thank you for tuning in. Hola a todos. Están escuchando KUCR, KUCR, sintonizada en 88.3 FM, la estación de radio de la Universidad de California en Riverside, tocando gran música, padrísima música, desde 1966.